This episode of the Better Every Shift podcast is brought to you by Lexipol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support, and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit Lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Now let's get into the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Better Every Shift podcast. My name is Aaron Zamzow. With me, as always, is Janelle Fasquette. Hello, Janelle. She is the co-captain, editor-in-chief of Fire Rescue One and the brains behind this whole thing, which you probably will know if you listen some more here. Hi, Janelle. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. I'm super fired up today because we have with us Chief Nick Martin. Um, And I got to preface this. I've seen Chief in a two-day seminar, and I was not bored. I was super fired up. He's a very informative uh, chief. He's very passionate about uh, furthering education. And um, well, welcome, Chief. By the way, how are you? Thank you. I'm I'm well. I'm I'm glad to be on the show. And uh, you know, I got some of the email about some of the things you might guys might want to talk about. So I'm pretty excited about some of that and uh, looking forward to it. Well, you could throw that email out because I basically go just based on what we're passionate about and what yeah. we're talking about. I'm, I'm kidding, of course, but um, we'll dive into it. But let me uh, let me just introduce you a little bit better. You're the division chief with City of Salisbury Fire Department, North Carolina. You've served as the chief of training for the City of Columbia, South Carolina. You're you were also a lieutenant with D.C. Fire and EMS. You're the founder and president of Combat Ready Fire Training. Um which is CombatFireReady.com. Um, you also around. teach... What's that? <laughs> Other way around. Combat <laughs> Ready Fire. <laughs> Close. We'll take it. See, now they'll remember at least, right? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yep. CombatReadyFire.com. And, um, and just a darn good guy. I've had a chance to, to talk to you a little bit behind the scenes. And, uh, and, and when you came and presented our department, um, a lot of people speak really highly of of uh, seeing what you do and, and, you know, watching your YouTube channel, I, I just, the, the passion that you have and uh, obviously the knowledge is there too, but you know, the passion comes out in your videos and you could kind of see as you start them, you just get more and more passionate about it. Where did that passion for training really start? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I just, I've been doing this a long time. You know, I started in uh, in 1994 in my hometown um, as a volunteer, and then you know, pretty quickly, I have no idea really how, but like, I guess I was a volunteer officer a few years later, and like, I started getting roped into being like the guy that led drill nights. You know what I mean? And so I was doing that, and then you know, um, you know, later on again, I was just you know now you know a company officer and. You know, actually, um, I was on a, a new company that had just opened up as a, a heavy rescue company. And I was, you know, pretty good at some of the rope rescue stuff and some of the newer stuff that people are getting into. So then I got asked, like, hey, would you do more of that stuff? And so I started doing, you know, I started actually kind of traveling around doing a little bit of heavy rescue stuff. And then, like, I don't know, it was just one of those, it's, you know, it's one of those things like, you know, you turn around and you're like, you know, so you've been doing this for 20 years. How'd you get started? And you're like, I have no idea. I, you know, it just happened. It's kind yeah. of how I just fell into it, I guess. It's kind of your passion. Like we're all about being better every shift, but right. Every time you probably came across something, you're like, oh, I need to learn more about that. Right. So you dig in, learn, 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 and then teach. Yeah. Well, I mean, my, my stuff, I, I have always, I have always, you know, sworn that I never wanted to be fake. Like I never wanted to be one of these guys that just talked about things they don't know about or just talked about generic things, you know? So I, I, I've always made it my point and I've had the fortune to have the opportunity um, to, to talk about things that I've experienced or talk about things that I'm passionate about. And, and just kind of as my career has evolved, you know, I focus on what I do um, in my job, you know, what I have fresh experience with. And, you know, like I said, you know, a while ago, like I used to teach this heavy rescue stuff. Like, you know, we run, we, um, I'm, I'm in charge of our special operations stuff now and everything, but I'm not, I'm not the same level that I was back then. You know what I mean? So I'm not going to jump on here and tell you how to, how to rig a system or, or do a trench rescue. Like I can, 
I can do that, but that's not my expertise. You know what I mean? And so I try to stick with, you know, what I am most passionate and, and most informed about. And, uh, you know, like I said, a, a lot of that, you know, has come by, um, you know, just kind of talking about incidents that I've experienced, whether they're good or bad, um, and, and things that we've done in the departments I've been with that I feel like are, are good or bad. And, you know, one of the things I figured out a long time ago after starting into teaching is um, I have never, I don't think, I'm trying to make sure I'm accurate, but I have never like been a state instructor. I think like technically, like I probably have my name on a ledger somewhere, but I've never taught any courses like that. And I never really wanted to because what I've enjoyed about what I do is I, I have the absolute freedom to talk about whatever I want to say, say it how I want to say it and to have a different opinion about it the next day and talk differently about it the next day if my experience or opinion on it evolves. And I have always liked that freedom. And, and that's kind of evolved into combat ready fire training then, right? Like, um, and I remember one of the things that you talked about with us is, yeah, there's the book way to do it, but then there's experiences and, and things that we, um, you know, see, and we got to learn from that and, and, and then like put that on and teach that. Right. And is that kind of where com combat ready fire training came from? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, so years ago when I started this, it sounds like makes it sound archaic talk saying things like that, but like back in the day, so to speak, um, it, it, it was, there was a huge lag between, um, the generation of new skills or information and, and from when it made it into the books. And so you still have that today, but I feel like social media and, um, you know, just videos and the pace of society or whatever has lessened that. But like back in the day, it really was like guys would be doing a skill or a technique or a new way of doing things on the streets for years before it would ever start getting into a textbook and being formally taught. And so I think a lot of, you know, training companies kind of started with that, with like that and, and with that goal or that mentality of the beyond the book street smart kind of thing. And that's that's definitely what I started with. Um, you know, I've been, you know, kind of teaching on the road now, you know, I guess for almost the past about not, not past 19 years, you know, I was I was doing it, you know, with a different group for a long time. Um, and then just the stars aligned one day for me to kind of just kind of, you know, continue what I was doing, but do it kind of more, um, start my own thing in my own group and kind of continue it with my vision the way I, way I wanted to. And that's kind of where we are today. That's great. And, you know, you, you talked about that delay, the gap between, you know, when the new techniques or training elements come out and when it makes it to the book. Well, in that absence, you know, people are going to fill it in, right? And now we've just got everyone online has their own accounts. Like, how do you, you know, how can the average firefighter know who's legit when there's just a sea of content and just, you know, anyone can start their own YouTube channel these days? That, I was 100% thinking about that before I even knew you were going to ask that because, <laughs> you know, again, back in the day, you know, you had your, you had your mag, you had your three magazines, you had firehouse, fire engineering, fire rescue, and then you had whatever textbooks. And, and for lack of a better term, they were all basically the Bible. You know what I mean? Is like in most firefighters minds, if it got printed in one of those sources, it must be, it must be right. You know what I mean? And so that's, that's where everybody pretty much got their information. And so nowadays you're right, you know, in, in 20 seconds, anybody can start, you know, uh, um, some kind of social media channel and be putting out information. And so now um, that lessens the barrier of getting different views or fresh information out of there, but it really puts the responsibility more on the learner um, to sift through the nonsense and decide what is good and what is not. And that, you know, that's a scary thing because, you know, a lot of younger guys that don't know that they know how to, to tell what is better or what is, you know, what is good or what is not. And, you know, and, and so you really kind of, one of my friends, you know, he wrote an article at one point, I'm pretty sure it was a published article and it was titled, you know, check the resume. And, and I, I remember that, you know, the first time, you know, that I, anytime that I'm going to go take class or I'm going to read something, even before I really, and this might be wrong, but even before I hear what the person wants to say, I want to know what is, what's your resume and what's your background with this? And, 
you know, I say this as somebody that has a pretty heavy social media or, um, presence. I would encourage everybody to check the resume. Check the resume on me. You know what I mean? You've got to you've got to look at the source and you've got to look at what is their experience with that prior to just like digesting that and doing it on a fire tomorrow. And also, you know, you've got to realize that every every fire department is different. You know, that's one of the things I've gotten over 20 years of traveling around North America is a, a wide understanding of exactly how different fire departments can be. And, and I'm just telling you, not that I know it all, but I'm telling you, if you haven't been outside of your bubble, if you haven't been to like different places and talked to different people, you have no idea how different it can get. And um, that that means there are there are things to learn both good and bad from that, but you've got to, you know, you've got to, when you're, when you're digesting information from a source, you've got to compare the, the environment that that person works in or operates in to yours and, and just kind of figure out if that meshes or not. Yeah. And this is uh this brings up a really good question. We were talking kind of before the podcast, uh, you know, you have East coast, West coast, even different communities have different ways of, of speaking and on the fire ground and, and different tech tactics and techniques. And you have a couple of training programs that that's they're aggressive. Right. And now of course, some people you say aggressive and they go, yeah, we're, yeah, we need to be aggressive. And others are saying, whoa, whoa, you know, let's, let's hold on with that, that word. And, and to this goes back to your point, you know, you have to look at who's saying it, what's the situation, but what is your definition of aggressive and how are you using that? Well, I mean, you know, I have seen um, ag aggressive, li the, the word, live two different lives. You know, in, in some conversations or in some time periods, aggressive was the standard. You know, it's what everybody needed to be. It's what the expectation was. And in other conversations, ag aggressive got equated to reckless. And it's what we needed to avoid. And, you know, what have I've always, you know, what it has always been to me is, is, you know, aggressive is with intent, you know, it's acting with intent to resolve a situation, you know, as quickly as possible. And you got to look at what we do, you know, fighting fires and, and, and go into rescue calls or whatever. And you got to think, well, you know, if my loved one was involved in that situation, what would I want? You know, and I would want somebody who knows what they're doing to fix it as quickly as possible. And, and that to me is aggressive. You know, yeah. I want somebody that is moving fat, moving, you know, forward in all in all aspects to as quickly as possible resolve the problem that my loved one is having. What does it mean to be combat ready? Well, I mean, so that, you know, that was a phrase that it's a, there's a long story behind that. Um, and and I'll give you the short version or we can go deeper into it if you want. Yeah. But, you know, when I was I was a I was a live in firefighter at this place called Kentland in Prince George's County, Maryland, which is right outside of D.C. And what that means is they gave me a place to live for free in exchange for running fires, which, you know, when I was young uh, in my 20s was exactly what I wanted to do. And it's basically kind of a dormitory kind of situation. So anyway, you know, there was a guy there um, that was my age and, and his name was Matt and his father's name was Pete. And um, I, I later would find out that his father's name was was Lieutenant Pete Lund. And he was at the time a lieutenant on Rescue Company 2 in Brooklyn. Um, and, you know, with a, he was a 30 year plus experience storied kind of guy. And um, I had the opportunity to to meet Pete and, and, you know, go to calls and fires with Pete, you know, for a, a couple of years um, because he he decided to come join the firehouse so that he could go to fires with his son, which was a pretty cool thing. Um, yeah. So so anyway, you know, Pete's thing, you know, you know, I, I grew up in Philly. And so, like, I was uh, vaguely aware of the New York City Fire Department. Um, but, uh, I was never a super buff. Um, but what I knew or what I would find out is that, you know, you always imagine these rescue companies were the busiest firefighting companies in the city. They were handpicked veterans. You know, there's a lot of, uh, trust and prestige that went into getting that assignment. And, you know, here was this guy who was a Lieutenant of, of one of these companies had, had been in those positions for years. He had been on the rescue 
for 20 plus years, I think at that time, you know, he was, he was a Lieutenant in the Bronx in the eighties. Like literally if the guys remember hearing about like the Bronx is burning. Well, I mean, he was a, he was a Lieutenant on the rescue company there while that was happening. So he had all this super experience and everything. And, and I just remember, um, you know, a, a couple of different experiences with him. And, you know, one of them was, I remember one night, you know, I was riding in charge of the tower ladder because I was a Lieutenant at the time. And, you know, I had this guy in the back who had been on the job longer than I had been alive. And here I am, I'm riding up front, you know what I mean? And so I'm just having young guy thoughts in my head. And I'm like, well, this guy, this guy in the back, he's, he's a badass. You know, I, I need to make sure he knows that I'm a badass also. So I'm like, hmm, how should I do that? And I'm like, okay, we, you know, we go out the door in the evening time for smoking an apartment building. And I've got a pretty strong sixth sense. This is a food on the stove call. So you know, I'm like, well, I know what to do. I'll let him know I'm a badass by getting off the rig half dressed, you know, like, cause I'm too busy. I go to enough fires to be troubled with this. And so I, you know, I get off the rig and like my waist straps are swinging. Cause I saw a picture of a guy one time whose waist straps were, were unbuckled and he looked cool. So I'm like, well, I want to look cool. So, you know, I get off like that, you know, my, my coat's not buttoned all the way up. My gloves are in my pocket. I get off and I turn around and I look at this guy who's got 30 years on the New York city fire department. And he looks like it's his first day out of rookie school. I mean, he's got his, his chin straps hanging and his hood is up. His gloves are on his hand. He's got tools tucked under his arm, you know, he's, he's buttoned up like, you know, he's about to go into the most hellacious inferno you can imagine. And I'm like, okay, copy that. <laughs> Here I am with my, you know, waist strap swinging and everything. And, and, you know, I just had a few experiences with him. And like, I remember one day, you know, just there was kind of like a little bit of friendly banter and they're like, Hey man, what's, what's the deal? They don't have food on the stove calls in Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, he kind of got into this thing about like, you know, no, you know, ha ha, whatever. You know, but but basically sharing that, that his expectation for his company was that if you wanted to work in that firehouse, your expectation was that you were to be combat ready every day. You were to, you know, there that, you know, the, the citizens of the of that fire or that city, you know, expected the best service from every company at all times. And when and when when his company showed up, they were going to be ready for the worst at all times. And, and that was his expectation. And if you didn't want to meet it, you can go work somewhere else. But, you know, and I just, it just kind of clicked with me. And I was like, you know, this guy, like I said, is, is old. He's been fighting fire longer than I've been breathing. You know, he is, I have him over here on my bookshelf, all the Bronx is burning text, you know, picture books and stuff like that. Cause we used to look at pictures in books instead of on the internet. And, <laughs> what's a, uh, what's a book? Know, what's, what I know is I that, can write, right? For those that are confused, I can get one and we can yeah. show it. But, you know, I'm like, this guy has like done has lived the life that like is what I want to do. And and here I am half living in a firehouse, living in a fire. That's how much I want to do this. And I'm half assing it because I think it looks cool. And, and here is this guy who's done more than I'll ever be able to do. And at, you know, he's twice my age, been fighting fire longer than I've been alive. If he can get off the rig and do it the right way every single time, what excuse do I have not to? And, and that has just, that is just something that's always stuck with me. You know, and then um, unfortunately, um, you know, Pete retired from uh, New York City in uh, in 2003, if my memory serves me correctly, and basically was um, unfortunately was killed in the line of duty two years later, fighting fire with his son uh, at a house fire in the city where in the town where he grew up and had lived all of his life. And so, you know, that you know, a lot of it is is just kind of a um, I guess whatever I can do to kind of pay tribute to to Pete and his memory and and what he did for me. And what I'm sure he did for thousands of other firefighters in the time that he was able to teach and share with them. Yeah. Well, what a great story. And I'm going to, I'm actually going to, I'm going to confirm this. Cause I remember from your seminar, you showed a picture of a, an alarm call and your, your crews are putting the stick up and you're talking about rig placement. Right. And, and you said, this is an alarm. It's probably the second one we had at this the other day. Uh, a second at this this particular address, and you said, "I want my companies going to a like not pretending this is a fire, right? Until until we get in there and investigate. So, talk, think about rig placement. Think about you know, can you reach that corner? Is this the best place? Are you ready? Um, you know, dressed for that particular uh, event. And and so, what other ways do you do you get your crews to 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 get that combat ready? 
uh, kind of thought process. I mean, you had a very humbling experience with yeah. it that lasted, uh, you know, 30 years with you almost. I mean, that's awesome. How do we, you know, and how do we, can our listeners make that same impact? Yeah. Well, I, I jumped on the trampoline a lot. You know what I mean? I jumped up and down on the trampoline a lot. And a lot of times I had fun and I went really high and a bunch of times I fell off. Um, and, and I am trying to do what I can do um, to, to prevent other people from falling off the trampoline because, you know, most of the time I just got a bruise, but, but you mess this up, they mess this job up. You can, a lot of times you, you can get a lot worse than that. You know what I'm saying? And, and mm -hmm. I was lucky. Like I did, I did the same stupid stuff everybody else did. And I was just lucky. And there are some people that are going to do that same stupid stuff. Um, and they're not going to be lucky. And, and so that's what we're trying to do. Um, and, and so, I mean, there's a lot of ways that we impart that is, is, is number one, it is just very clear from day one in rookie school, um, in my department, how we operate and what the expectation is. And, and there's a lot of things we tell them, but one of the things that we tell them is, is, you know, if you were looking, if you're looking to, to put your gear next to the fire truck, sit in a recliner and watch direct TV for the next 24 hours, you have chosen the wrong fire department. And I can give you some, I can give you the directions on how to get to some other ones, but this ain't the right place. Um, you know, we, we, we want our people to have fun. We want our people to be relaxed. Uh, I'm an old school guy. You know, I, I, I believe in all the old school kitchen table and, and having fun on your 24 hours and, and not everything has to be business all the time. Um, and you do you when you're in the firehouse, right? But the deal is, is that when the bell rings, um, it's game time and, and it's time to be very serious. And there is no compromise on that. And, and the guys know that, you know, if, if they want that comfort of being able to have, you know, let's, you know, they want, they want to be able to be comfortable in the firehouse and, and be able to, to, to cut some corners that maybe other fire departments don't allow. Then the deal is that when the bell rings, you're, you better, you better play like it's the Super Bowl. Um, and if you don't, then, then that's going to be a serious conversation. And, and, you know, we, you know, so we, we, it's just very much the culture. It's very much the expectation. You know, we, we have a lot of formal expectations about, what we do on structure fires, you know, even what we do on automatic fire alarms. I mean, one, one thing you mentioned, you know, we have an expectation that on every, we, we send two engines and a ladder um, and a battalion to all, to the automatic fire alarms. And um, it, there is an expectation that, you know, when they, you know, that they will basically set the aerial and, you know, position the ladder truck properly, drop the outriggers and get the aerial to the proper position or the roof. Um, and they'll do it every time. They've done it twice today. Before I got on the podcast, I heard them give another one because when they get up there, they'll give the battalion chief a roof report on the operations channel. And I, and I heard it this morning. We had a fire alarm uh, actually at my son's preschool um, right before lunchtime. And, you know, they did it there. You know, I mean, because, of course, I went to that call. Um, yeah. But, you know, so, you know, and, and the guys like it. You know what I mean? I, I think I, I, the guys like it because. One thing I've, I've learned about culture is you attract what you advertise. And if you advertise that you were the fire department where you can sit in a recliner and get paid, that's exactly who's going to come work for you. You know what I mean? And if you advertise that you are the department that, that runs to the fire truck when the box tone drops and, and knows where they're going and knows what to do and is stretching lines and throwing ladders and, and all that kind of stuff, then that's who you're going to attract. And, and that's who we're looking for. Yeah, and that's that training culture then too, because then that 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 transfers to everything, right? Uh, not only from from the call, but the way that you guys train. Give a give me a little more insight as to. So I'm a, I'm a new a newer training officer. What it, what advice would you have for me to help uh, kind of uh, push that culture? You know, if we're well, not there now, how do I get my my department to move that way? No, number one is is there's there's two kinds of or, or you know there there's there's definitely there's a chicken and egg conversation about operations and training right you know so wh what do we do do we operate the way that we train or do we train the way that we operate you know what I mean and, and you could have that conversation for hours but I, I have learned that and, and you got to kind of look at depending on the size of your organization you know where do you report you know because there are a lot of times. You know, there are training officers um, that, that might report to like the admin side of, of administration, like an assistant chief of administration or something like that. And there are training officers that might report to the operations chief. And, 
you know, so, you, you know, I, I, I have always thought that operations and training need to be, you know, in lockstep together because there is, you know, whichever way that chicken and egg conversation comes out. I mean, those two are very closely related. But you also see that there are really two different kinds of training, you know, at least two different kinds of training bureaus you see in departments. Some of them are puppy mills. Like what they do is they run recruit schools and promotional academies and they teach state level classes over and over and over again. And that's what they do. Right. And there are other training bureaus that are more involved and more moving the organization forward. And they're involved in things like after action reviews and their result they're involved in in things like developing or delivering their own internal academies whether that's you know ladder company operations or captain academies or battalion chief academies or whatever but but things that are focused on how that department operates and what they are doing and you know um i, I you know i i think my the, the 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 types of organizations that i've been involved in or what i've steered them towards has always been that second one, has always been involved that like my job here is not to just regurgitate a state level class over and over again. I can send you somewhere for that. Our job here is to is to is to basically do think to two things, go to fires and get ready to go to fires. And when I'm not doing one, I'm doing the other. You know what I mean? But that's pretty much what our job is at all times. And, you know, what you're looking at in terms of preparing to go to fires is all kinds of things, you know, depending on how your organization is structured, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot to be said for getting involved in buying equipment, specifying equipment, specifying apparatus, you know, working on policies, you know, going to fires, you know what I mean? That that is something I have always people would hear training officer and they're like, oh, he doesn't go to real fires. I I I one of the benefits of that situation is I went to all the fires, not just not just the fires that happened for my company on my ship, but all of them. Because, you know, we had a, a strong belief that, you know, you know, you're only as good as your last fire. And, and you know, who's going to listen to me as the training captain or training chief if I've been on a desk job for five years, not going to fires? Like, right. you know what I mean? You've got to right. stay in touch with that stuff. So, you know, I think that conversation about how to build a good training bureau or how to be a good training officer is really dependent on what size organization you're in and, and, and how that organization is structured, but it, it's got to always be about the main thing. And the, and the main thing is going to fires. Yeah. And, you know, we've been talking culture, high level kind of macro level. If we take it down to a more micro level and you're just talking about one individual, let's say you have somebody on the crew and you see potential in them, but they're just like not quite buying in to the combat ready mindset or whatever culture you're establishing of training at the department. Do you have any advice or tips for a company officer that's just trying to get somebody on board to kind of get it? Like they see the potential, they're not someone you're looking to toss out, but someone who just needs that extra push. Well, I mean, I, you know, so I, I read a great book, you know, several years ago that I think has so much application of fire service. It was a military book. And it, it talked about, you know, basically when you look at a person that, that there's this there's this, you know, square of four boxes that you can form, you know, and basically by they are, are they willing or unwilling and are they able or unable? And, and there's four different possibilities that you get out of those two different about those two axes. And depending on where they fall, it kind of tells you what to do. Right. You know, if I have somebody that is willing to do it and they're and they're and they are able to do it, they're doing the job. What I need to do is just continue to support and push that person in the right direction because they're the all-star. They're, they're what we want to see here. I want to promote that. I want everybody else to see that. And I want to make that person even better, right? And then, you know, in the next situation, if I have that, that person that they're able to do it, but, but they're just not willing or just, they're just not doing it quite yet. Well, then I've got to look at that as kind of a little bit more of a, a little bit more of a coach or a little bit more of a teaching kind of thing. And I think that's the box where people struggle a little bit because, you know, I think the first thing you've got to make sure there is that are you, are you personally, whatever, whoever you are, whatever your position is, are you embodying and displaying the exact performance that you want to see? Because if you're, you can't expect this person that works for you or this person that you are trying to lead to do anything any better than you do. 
So if you're not doing it exactly the way you want them to do it, then then the problem isn't with them, it's with you. You, you need to get yourself in order and you need to be the example that you want to see, you know? And so now the next thing is that after that, I mean, if you're, if you're leading by example, then that I think you've got to say like, does this person really understand what we're trying to do and why we're trying to do it? Right. Because, you know, this is no longer the days of the man with the bugle said to do this. So I do that. You know, we're not, we're not just in the, the, this is not the compliance generation. You know, these are the generations of people who want to know why. And if they know why, and it makes sense to them, they will probably buy into it and they will do it. And they will probably do it better than just following orders because they'll understand the intent behind it. They'll understand what we're really trying to achieve. So sometimes you've got to really break that down because you think that people understand the why um, and they don't. And if you're just having surface level conversations, you'll never figure that out. But you've really got to kind of explore that, you know, and, and, I, and there's lots of ways, I guess, you can talk to people or deal with people. But by asking questions or using examples or whatever, you know, you've got to explore in this person's head, like, do they really get what we're trying to do here and why it matters? Because if they just think it's some BS that doesn't matter, they're not going to buy into it. And therefore they're not going to perform at much higher than the minimum possible standard. Um, and so there's a lot of that coaching and stuff that needs to go on there. But one thing, honestly, and I, and I, and I, I hate to be this guy, but you know, somewhere along the line, 20, 30 years ago, it became a lot more popular to be warm and fuzzy. And, and, no, and what that led to is nobody wanted to apply any rules anymore. And we have lost that. There does have to come a point that if I have if I've told you what we need to do and I've explained it every single way about why we need to do it and I have given you the necessary training and equipment to do what I want you to do successfully and you choose still not to do it, this is now a compliance issue and that is a discipline issue and you need to apply the discipline and, and it needs to be that classic hot stove thing you know, that it burns everybody right away an equal amount. Um, and it, it, you don't want to get there. You don't want to get there. But, I, you know, I have been in fire departments that, um, n without exaggeration, have demoted people for re wearing the wrong T-shirt. Right. And and but would never say a thing to you if you screwed up a fire ground and burned a building down. You know, and, and like, what are you telling people there? Like the T-shirt is more important than the building. Like, so if that's, if operational performance is what is important to you, then, then it has got to be displayed that operational performance is what is being inspected here and is where the highest standard will be held. Yeah. It goes back to setting those expectations too, right? You're like, you were talking about. Uh, so I want to dig a little bit deeper into you personally though. Like, are, do you, do you have times where you, do you go through some ruts or you're just like, oh, I'm just not motivated or, or, you know? Oh, a thousand percent, at least one day a week. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, uh, I mean, well, maybe more, but, depends, but what, right? I, what I have decided is, and, and I don't, I, you know, it, I'm not going to try, uh, let's just, I would try to say that I'm not egotistical, but I absolutely have an ego. And I think every firefighter does. And so you just got to embrace that. But what I've decided is my minimum standard is going to be better than some people's best standard. You know, on, on my day that I don't want to be at the firehouse, that I don't want to do anything, I am still going to make sure that all of my equipment is order in order, that I've got everything laid out properly, that my cylinder has, you know, 4,998 pounds of air in it, even though it's supposed to only hold 4,500. And I'm still going to make sure that when the bell rings, that I get out the door quickly and I do my job, you know? Yeah. And, and so that, because that, that is, that is the tough I can't slack on. Like if I don't get to the bottom of my email inbox today or I don't do a great job emptying the trash, well, I guess I was a slug that day. And, and everybody has a slug day, right? But, you know, nobody's going to die if, 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 you know, you didn't do a great job mopping the floor. But, you know, if, if you don't have your apparatus in order, if you don't have your personal equipment in order, you know, and if you're not getting out the door quickly and doing your job when the call comes in, 
Well, now you're putting now you're putting somebody else at risk, and that's just not okay for anybody to do in any day. If you can't show up and do that minimum standard, then just don't come to the firehouse today. Yeah, and then and is for and for some of us listening, you know, and I, like I'm I'm glad you said, yeah, you know, probably once a week you have that, but it's because of those principles. And do does that then do you feel that transfers? You know, once you keep doing that, that just transfers, kind of gets you out of that rut. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, you know, there's an old, an old wives' tale about like, you know, if you want to go to a fire today, talk about it. You know, we would have this, you know, we would have this competition almost. Like I remember my, one of my firehouses in D.C. where he'd be like, yeah, you know, I try, hope we go to a fire today. And like, yeah, you know, what do you think we're gonna do? I'm like, well, I'd probably be a fire in a three-story row. And they're like, yeah, that's okay. So what do you think? Like a basement fire? Yeah, let's let's do a basement fire, three-story row. Okay, copy that. What do you want to do? You want to be first due or you want to be third due? Because we have different positions that we would take. Like, let's go second due truck. I'm trying to make the alley and force that basement door. And like you talk up this specific scenario and sometimes you'd be like, man, that's eerie because you'd run a very similar call later that night, you know, or, or like, you know, I always found like, you know, if I, you know, if, if I got in the mood of like cleaning my tools and like you ran a good drill, it's like you had worked up good karma. And you were you were rewarded with a fire or, or with something like that. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, I think it definitely like it all depends on like why you're not in the groove that day. I mean, obviously some people can have some pretty serious personal stuff going on, you know, whatever. But sometimes maybe you just like everything's fine. You just need a little motivation. And, and I've always found there like like once you get into the job, you get into the job. Like if you just if you can just get over the hump and like get in there and like you know start cleaning up your Halligan bar or start doing a good drill or having a good conversation, like it just snowballs from there. Yeah. After an action reviews too, can sometimes spur that at least, you know, Hey, if you're, you have this, you have to be ready for this and you can't say this isn't going to happen because look at it just did over here. Yeah. Right. Like, um, and you had mentioned that, that earlier, um, it's almost like you play, uh, I'm going to date myself here. Remember the game mad libs. Oh yeah. You fill in the blanks about, we're going to have a two, uh, blank story, you know, structure fire. It's like, uh, I think we, I think we just created a new product chief. It's called fire <laughs> libs or something where you can create your own fire situations, yeah. uh, you know, as a, as a rainy day drill. I, I love it. Um, and I actually took some good notes on that. I'm going to try that with my, my crew just on a, uh, on the next rainy day. So those listening, if you ever have a good one, send it to us and we'll get it to chief and uh, maybe it might make it one of his uh, presentations or one of his, uh, his courses on, uh, Combat ready fire would be Mad Lib fire scenarios or something, uh, you know, uh, yeah, as we like go it. forward. So uh, you had mentioned your passion for training. You've been in training. We talked about culture. Let me uh, let me ask a little bit about what do you see right now in the fire service? And for those listening, you know, we 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 try to talk about pertinent issues. What do you see as as you know, one of the most uh, kind of glaring things in the fire service that we need to improve on? Well, I mean, you know, right now, I, I think there is a lot of, and the social media has contributed to it, you know, and I'm sure I can be guilty of it at times, just like anybody. But I, I think right now there's a lot of, I guess, bashing is the right term, is there's a lot of just like, you know, idea against idea, fist fighting or whatever on the internet. And like, if you don't do this thing my way, you're a moron and people are going to die. And, you know, and I think like a lot of times the conversation over the years was supposed to be like learning from each other and pass it on and like, you know, improving things or whatever, you know, and, and just kind of, you know, this idea of, of looking more, more holistically or looking more of a 360 around the fire service and saying like, well, what can I get? from how you operate and what can you get from how I operate and, and that it's not, you know, just my way or the highway kind of thing. And, and I think a lot of one of those things is, is like the number of misconceptions that, that there are about certain tactics is, is uh, it's amazing. And it's scary that people don't understand them because unfortunately today's attention span, you know, uh, you know, you're not getting somebody to read an eight page article on this or that tactic, unfortunately, unless they're really ate up with stuff like you're lucky if you can get them to, to watch a, a 30 second reel, you know, or, or read. A, I mean, and they're probably not going to read the caption. You know what I mean? And so now all of a sudden, you know, you're having this real you're having as much of a conversation as you can have an Instagram's 90 second reel limit. 
and somebody's watching that and they think that's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. And they think that's all you've got to say about it, you know, or they think there's not anything else to be considered. And there's so many things that are lost in there. You know, I, I, I've been involved in a couple of different kinds of discussions about, you know, this tactic or that tactic. And, and, and what I've discovered is I've tried to look into, you know, different sides of it is like, wait a minute, when I say this, this guy that's fighting me on it doesn't understand at all that, you know, what I mean is that or, or that this is a part of it or, or I don't understand at all that when they're talking about how they do something like this is the this is the staffing level they're dealing with or this is the type of area that they run. And that's different from what I'm doing. And so therefore, the tactics are not equally applicable. And, and I think what, what maybe that's a long way of saying is that there's 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 not as much of an environment as there needs to be about like further probing that or asking questions like to in order to deepen your understanding of somebody's perspective or what they offer or how they operate what there is is there's a lot of man I watched this 20 second guy this thing and you know he didn't talk about this he didn't talk about that they don't do this this way so he's a moron let me mark him as more my moron guy. <laughs> you know what I mean and yeah like, yeah yeah, we're missing stuff because I, I talked about this, you know, on another podcast recently is um, guys ask me all the time how I put up with what I put up with on social media, because the bottom line is when you put yourself out there, you're going to get um, a lot of nonsense. And and I get a lot of nonsense and it doesn't bother me in the slightest for whatever reason. But the other thing I know is I know a lot of these genius old school rock star firefighters out there in different departments in the country that would never put themselves in the middle of this fray that they see on the internet. They're like, are you kidding me? I'm like, you ought to, you know, hey, you got this great experience. You ought to get in there and share this with these guys. Are you kidding me? Have you seen the idiots out there on the internet? (laughs) I, I, I don't have the time in my life for that. I'm not getting involved in that. And so now what you're missing is... Guys out there are missing the perspective or lessons or conversation with so many people they will never hear of, you know, just because those people don't want to get dragged into the trenches. And and that is a loss for the fire service. There are so many good people out there that could and should be in the conversation and they're not going to get into it because from the, from the outside, it looks like a bar fight. And, yeah. and you know what I mean? Like, who wants to get into that? What's the best way to get them more involved? What's the best way to get that that knowledge and experience out of them? Well, I mean, if you know them, I mean, then the best thing to do is engage with them personally. If they're in your firehouse or, or you can call them or, or you have a mechanism to connect with them personally, then, then you should do that. Um, but, uh, you know, in terms of getting them to get involved in more of the national conversation or whatever, I don't know. Until the... Until we can get control of ourselves, it's, I don't know how you can do it. It's, it's some of the people that I see on the internet, the concept that somewhere they're allowed to be a firefighter and enter somebody's house with trust on their worst day, worst day of their life, it, it doesn't connect for me. I'm like, who is putting this person in an environment w- where they're to be trusted with lives and money on the table? Because to me, they seem like an absolute scoundrel based on how they present themselves. You know what I yeah. mean? And, yeah, so we've on got, TikTok got or to get a whatever. handle on that. But I think that's a greater society issue than it is yeah. just fire service. Or, well, that's what, what the podcast is all about. We're, we're vetting them, right? Like, that's really what Janelle and I talked about is we want to try to have those people like yourselves on that, hey, this is somebody you need to follow. This is somebody who has been there, has done that. Uh, Janelle, of course, is going to tell you to, uh, uh, you know, if, if you know so much, why don't you submit an article? And and write for Fire Rescue One, or or you know, or even work for you, right, Chief? Like you, you take on good instructors, and and you know, um, are, are always willing to have that conversation. Um, but uh, very well said. And and we come to a point where we like to kind of break it down a little bit, uh, get more personal with you. We, we put you on what's called the hot seat. We now have a couple of listeners, Janelle's mom and my mom are probably our two predominant ones. And they like to ask questions <laughs> that, that we then uh, put you on the hot seat and ask. It's a little bit more, you know, fast paced, fun stuff. Um, and so, uh, Janelle, I'm going to let you, you start today. What's uh, your first hot seat question for chief? All right, chief. I want to know what your all time favorite drill is a personal favorite. 
Okay. So, you know, one of the things, you know, I, one of the things I've always been, you know, into was the masking up quickly thing. Um, you know, it's something my uh, lieutenant, the lieutenant in charge of my training academy in D.C., it was his thing. He made us do it. You know, you had to come off the rig with everything, like your gloves on, everything on except your mask, uh, come off ready to go and then mask up at the door in less than 10 seconds. And it was a, a real competitive thing. Um, it's just something I've always done. And, and I see a ton of practicality in it because it's something you have to do on every fire also. So, you know, it's, that's always been one of my tops. Best uh, time. What's the best time? In my best times, under 10 seconds. These days, probably about 14, 14 seconds, 14 to 15. Still really good. Well, I do what I can. So I, I, I want to know, what are you reading or who are you reading right now uh, that inspires you to, to continually get better? Uh, not enough. You know, I, I need to do, I get bogged down in, in so much stuff between you know, what I do on the side here with this and my job and everything that, you know, um, I need to do more of that. You know, I, I read as much social media probably as, as anybody else. You know, there's a, a few different people on there that I like to follow in terms of different levels of things, you know, or different, um, you know, whether it's, you know, kind of skill level or whether it's like, you know, command tactics level kind of stuff or, or what their area of expertise is. Um, you know, there's a, you know, kind of the books that I've been reading and stuff like that. You know, there's, uh, a, a, I've, I've read like kind of a lot of different military leadership books and probably, you know, some of the ones are very common. Like, you know, I'm a, I am a fan of like the Jocko stuff and a lot of the books that they put out and stuff. Um, but there's also some, some more, I guess, obscure ones or whatever that were kind of more intended for smaller units and things like that. Um, so, you know, been, been reading some of those. Where's the, what's the best place? Uh, do you just find, Hey, someone usually suggests something to you, whether it be social media or where do you find the best place to go to get like ideas on what to read? Um, you know, I don't like the one book. That's one of my favorite. I have no idea. It's, it's tremendously obscure book apparently. And I'm like wondering why it's not in every officer Academy in the universe, but, um, you know, I, I can't remember for the life of me how I found it because I've just been using it for years. Um, and I can't remember where I first heard of it. But a lot, you know, a lot of stuff is word of mouth, you know what I mean? And, and I look at how people present themselves, you know, are they, are they one of these guys that stands on the table and just yells about things, you know, or, or are they, you know, they have like a gentlemanly kind of perspective and they're just putting out there, you know, what they believe in or, or what they do or whatever. So I kind of look at that and then, you know, I, like I, I, I check the resume, you know, who, what are they talking about and what is their background with what they talk about? You know, are they a credible source with that? And, you know, then I kind of, you know, I give it a little test try and I look at some of their stuff and, and if it becomes good, then I, I keep on doing it. I've had a couple people that I've been like, I don't ever need to see anything this guy says again. Mm -hmm. And uh, fortunately there are features that allow you to do that. What's the book? Uh, Small Unit Leadership. Small Unit Colonel. Leadership. And you got to look it up by like who it was, it was written by uh, Colonel Dandridge Malone. And uh, like you got to like, it's like in the obscure archives on Amazon, but it's like a $10 book. And it was like meant for like a 19 year old army sergeant in Vietnam. And like it's some of the most street smart, practical, you know, company level. Like if you, like it's exactly what it says. If you're leading a small group of people, you know, if you're a, if you're a company officer or a battalion chief or, or whatever, like, man, it is like full of stuff. I really think so anyway. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Shifting things up a little bit. You're on a long drive. What are you listening to in the car? Are you rocking out to some music? You listen to books on tape? Where where, where do you typically go with that? I, I have a whole list of like different things, just depending on like what my mood is. Like sometimes, yeah, you just got to like chill out and listen to some music. Um, you know, a lot of times also like I have like different podcasts I listen to whether they're just like, you know, entertainment kind of stuff or whether they're, you know, some some of the podcasts um, on different leadership stuff or different fire service stuff. I'm also the guy that gets bored in the in the car and calls people. Um, and then so like I end up calling like somebody I've been talking to and like, you know, just basically talking to them for an hour or two or whatever, you know, and, and it, you know, usually it's a fire department person. So just kind of talking about that kind of stuff. That's great. He's he's a lefty. I'm telling you, man. There, I I we same thing. I'll <laughs> I'll use that time to to call and you know and I'll maybe start with something, but then my attention will switch. So, uh, one last question for you on the hot seat. 
who inspires you the most? Jeez, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's tough because people are such an evolving thing, you know, and I think what ins- inspires me the most is the call, honestly, the calls that we go on and, and the experiences that we have. And, uh, um, uh, again, I just, you know, my, everything I do is about some pretty serious calls that I've been on where things have, have gone either very well or gone very poorly. And, and I think that's what inspires me to be passionate about things. It inspires me with what I'm passionate about. You know, it inspires me with, um, you know, being, you know, when we talk about like being that, being at the firehouse on that day, you don't really want to be there. You know, at least doing those minimum things that are going to make me successful. If today we have a bad fire. I mean, I, I really, you know, I think really that's it for me is it's the calls. Right. And, and that, that mindset that was, uh, ingrained in you by, by a mentor, you know, yeah. 30 years ago, almost. Right. And it's, it, I, I think the, that's one of the most impactful things I've heard, uh, you know, in a long time is if you are a new firefighter or if you're a new company officer or even a, a, an older one, you can make that drastic impact on the next generation by one simple thing that you vividly remember and how many other people you have now impacted because of that combat ready mentality. So uh, with that, Chief, we, we thank you so much for being here. Uh, where, what's the best place to get in touch with you at? Um, either the website or, or social media, you know, I've got a pretty, you know, I'm, I'm on all the social media things. You can find me on there pretty easy. You can send me a message on there, but like, honestly, a lot of times I don't get them or I don't, I, I get a fair number of them and sometimes I don't get to them all. So if you really want to get in touch with me, the best way to go do is to go to the website, um, and send me an email because I, I usually will get through those. Okay. Um, but that's probably the best way. CombatReadyFire.com. That's CombatReadyFire.com. That's where you can get in touch with Chief. Again, thank you so much for the insight, for the passion. Um, look forward to seeing you again in person. And thanks again, Chief, for being here. Uh, with that, everybody, you can also watch this on the Fire Rescue One YouTube page. Uh, please rate and review the show. Um, and again, watching this, you, you might find and, and, and see some, some interesting things, uh, but go to our YouTube page. You can also email us at better every shift at fire onecom but most importantly, everybody learn something, do something, share something to make you and those around you better every shift. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks.